Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. The Magic Five, custom fitted goggles that are tailor-made for your exact face. You shouldn't feel like you're wearing any goggles. Use code BRETTHAWK20 at checkout to receive 20% off. Swim Angelfish. Receive the tools and skills needed to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions with Swim Angelfish. Go to swimangelfish.com. Superior Swim Timing. Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop. SST is fully compatible with high-tech, Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. SuperiorSwimTiming.com Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout. DestroMachines.com are you in need of a pace clock? Looking to finally upgrade those ancient analog clocks? The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is the most innovative digital pace clock. Go to swimpractice.com to check it out. Welcome to Swimming's Best Talk Show. Gonna learn all the things that Brett Hawk knows as he has a chat with his guests about what it takes to be the best. But the sport's about more than just best times. It's winning the battle against your mind. So listen in and let's take a dive with Brett Hawk as we go inside. All right, Brenton Rickard, how are you, mate? Good, Hawkey. Nice to see you. Hey, you too. It's been too long, mate. Um, I've been I've been away in this foreign land too long. I need to get home and see <laughs> people. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've been been over there for a while, and I mean, I've I've been retired for, for eight years now as well. So it's not like I'm day to day in the sport either. Yeah. Well, listen, mate. We are getting together because of um, good news, bad news, I guess. You know, you've got you got a story that just kind of popped in, in the swimming world, um, and we want to go over it. But uh, you know, just out of respect for you and and your career, I want to talk about it after we talk about you know, yourself and, and all the work you put in and, and all the success you had because I just think it's too important and, and I don't want to start at the negative. I want to start at the positive. But, uh, so I guess, you know, last time we really spent time together was my last team and your first team in 2006 Commonwealth Games, mate. Was that the first time you really broke onto the Australian scene in a major international? It, it was probably the first time I had, I had big-time success. Um, I, I actually had a couple teams prior to that. So um, I was I was in 03 World Champs in Barcelona, um, missed right. the Athens team, um, which is never fun as, as anyone that's missed an Olympic team. Um, yeah. you know, I was I was Australian record holder at, at that time going into trials and kind of choked and, and blew it at trials and missed the team by a tenth or two of a second and then um, kind of got myself back together and... Um, made 05 Worlds but didn't really put it together at World Champs and then 06 happened and, um, you know, won a number of medal, uh, medals at Com Games and then went to Pan Packs and was second behind um, Brendan Hansen and, and in front of, you know, Kazuki Kitajima got third. So that was kind of the first time I had 
um, I raced the big boys and, and, and had a good result. So um, 06 was probably my, my breakout party, if you put it that way. Um, oh. But obviously, a, a home Commonwealth Games, um, it was, um, you know, obviously a, a fitting way to, to end your career. But for a lot of us, it was our first taste of, of, of big time swimming in front of an Australian crowd. So um, pretty special for a lot of us. Yeah, when I look back on that, it was such a great meet. And, um, you know, I, I knew going in that that was going to be my last meet. And and I don't know whether I ended that the way I wanted to end it. You know, I, I'd much rather kind of just go out and just say that was it rather than kind of planning ahead to, to that being it. And so it kind of felt a little weird that I'd already knew that that was it going into the meet. And I kind of made my teammates weird in the whole situation and just felt a little too special. It was like, Let's not yeah. let's not get carried away here. But uh, I actually had <laughs> well, more. I had more um, interaction as a younger kid with your brother. Um, yeah, Nathan. Nathan and I kind of grew up together and were competitors against each other. He was a sprint freestyle, so he didn't have the breaststroke gene like you, mate. But um, <laughs> but your 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 older brother was um, was a top class swimmer. I actually, had the Australian record in the fifty free for a few years. So um, so that's how I yeah, kind of am acquainted with yeah. you. And I mean, it, it was a pretty special experience. Like, although you know, I, I probably had some lean years through those teenage years when you're you're waking up every morning to go to training, and you've got someone on the Australian swim team, a national record holder, mm-hmm. you know, doing the same thing, being a, a living, breathing, breathing example of of what it takes to 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 make it to the big time. It was it was pretty special for me, and I, I do credit him for um, you know a, a large part of my career success was. I guess him setting the example for me to follow and I guess also seeing um, the challenges that he's, he faced in his career um, and, and I guess preparing myself to, to hopefully deal with them and, and, or avoid them and, um, and, and, and I guess extend my career longer than, than he was able to. Yeah. Well, you were swimming um, around the time, kind of the golden age of breaststroke, really. I mean, like you said, you, you just named uh, a couple of athletes, um, and talk about some of your other competitors, people that you were competing against at the time that uh, kind of household names. Yeah, I mean, to me, to me, Kazuki is is still the benchmark. Um, right. You know, he obviously swam over a, a, a very long period of time all, from Sydney all the way through. Um, and, and so, you know, you always knew you're, you're up for a, for a hard competition. You know, he wasn't an overly... Big guy, um, even for a breaststroker, but he he had incredible, you know, power to weight ratio and 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 efficiency. Um, Brendan Hansen and, and I mean the Americans had great breaststrokers for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Ed, Ed Moses when we were doing world world cups and world short course was right. was phenomenal in that regard. And 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 Brendan was was great um, in the long course uh, pool as well. Um, and then you kind of progressed and and you know. I, I remember, I think it was a man Ostrom one year meeting Alexander Dale Owen, this mm. swimmer from Norway. I mean, who knew Norway had such great swimmers who, yeah. um, who, who tragically passed away before before London. Um, but he was a great, a great, um, great competitor when you got in the pool, but just a great friend out of it. Um, and then there was, yeah. Um, you know, some of the other guys, the, the Commonwealth Games guys, like we, we always had quality fields at Commonwealth Games when you had, you know, Cameron Vanderberg, right. Michael Jamison, um, Olympic silver medalist as well. Um, 
these these guys, uh, Mike Brown, I think, beat me at, at, at Melbourne in the 200 breast. Um, so we, I was always used to having, um, you know, great competitors. And, and, and then domestically, I had Christian Springer. He's a world champion and <laughs> Olympic silver medal in his own right. So yeah. I think the, I think the fact that, you know, here, here in Australia, I raced a world-class guy, you know, probably 20 times a year because we lived in the same city for a big chunk of it. We raced Queensland state titles together, all these meets here as well as our, our national championships um, prepared you that when you finally, you know, went, went international and raced those guys, you were at least prepared. You were at that level where you were competitive. Um, and so, yeah, I, I looking back, you know, I had a number of years probably from, from 06 through, through to 2012 where I was there or thereabouts. Sometimes it you get it right and you get the, the shiny medal and, and sometimes you're just that little bit off. But um, I, I look back and go, you know, there, there was a, a level of consistency that I'm, I'm pretty proud of with that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, over many years. Did, did you train with Vince Raleigh uh, throughout your whole career? Uh, no, I, I, I must have joined Vince when I was about 11 um, and, and swam with him up until 25. Um, so that was after the 2009 World Champs, Rome, um, where, where I won. Um, and I'd kind of planned that that was going to be my last year with Vince. So a bit to your point earlier, when it's a plan, it, it some, sometimes feels a bit weird that this will be yeah. the last meet. But yeah. for me, it really, I guess, focused me and 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 um, motivated me that, that that was going to be the last meet I swam swam with Vince and, and my my results probably reflected that that it was a great preparation um, and then I moved up, uh, back home to Queensland and I swam with Glenn Baker down the Gold Coast so right. I, w I was with um, Bakes for the last whatever that was four years of my career um, mm -hmm. you know uh, 2010 to, to 2013 um, which very, very different coaches um, but I'm incredibly glad I, I did it. I think, um, you know, I, I don't, don't know whether I would have swum as long as I did if I didn't move to Glen. He, he had a, a special knack of keeping things fresh and challenging and right. and 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 elongating my career. Um, but also, I, I do credit Vince. Vince was, you know, the the person that made me into the athlete I became. You know, right, yeah. when, when you kind of swim with someone for for 15 years from. Yeah. From eleven or so to mid twenties, um, they certainly helped mould you as a as a person um, as well as an athlete. Done a couple of Done interviews couple now of interviews with with some Aussies, Aussies, and it seems like that that was fairly common, especially for Queenslanders. You know, to have a coach that coached them from a very young age. You know, the Campbell sisters were the same thing, kind of all the way through their careers. So I'm hearing that more and more often. But uh, certainly, a change is is as good as a holiday. You know, so that that change was probably needed at 25, even though you did end up winning the world championship that year, Vince is probably like, oh, great, I get him to the world championship now and he's going to take off now. But yeah, you know, but yeah I mean, that, that's kind of crazy. But you you had success uh, at, at world champs, winning the gold medal and and uh, also at the Olympic Games, winning the silver medal. How much did you lose the gold by at the Olympics in the 200? Oh, I, I can't remember. It, it was a little bit like Kitajima was, was fairly dominant that year. So right. I, I, think, I think he might have gone maybe eight low. I went, I went 208, 88, um, which the Chinese loved because eight is a very auspicious number in Chinese culture. So um, I was apparently on the back page of the Beijing news about how special it was that this person went 8.88. Eight um, 
but I mean, he he was, you know, he 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 won the hundred, um, but was was probably a bit more dominant in that too. So um, we were, I was, you know, in the ballpark, but he he was he was a cut above, and, and likewise, we won a silver in the the medley relay at the end of the meet, um, and we had a pretty good team um, between, I think. The three other guys won, a, won an individual medal in their respective hundreds, but the Americans were too good. So my, my little piece of sporting history was, you know, when Michael was receiving his eighth gold medal, I was on that second podium. So me and those three guys, that's that's something that, uh, you know, you kind of look back and go, that's that's pretty special to be a part of. It would have been a, a better story if we were on the top the top podium and he was he was bumped to silver. But um, to 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 be there in that moment um, and to see what he did over the week, like I won that that silver medal and the, the two hundred breaststroke, and I I couldn't sleep or stop smiling for about forty eight hours afterwards. And meanwhile, he's gone race after race after winning after winning. So um, the respect I have for for him to be able to do that's just immense. That's what Andrew Lauderstein said to me too. He's like, I won the bronze medal in the hundred, and I, I was that was it. I was off. I was happy as you could be. And he's like, Michael's going back to back to back, and it's like <laughs> just a different mentality, I guess. But um, you know, wh- where did you feel most comfortable in the hundred or the two hundred? Um, the the hundred was my favorite event. Um, you know, really, I I, I only started swimming the two hundred very seriously after missing the team in O four that kind of disappointment pushed me to go, all right, well, I don't want to just rely solely on the 100. Um, right. When the next game comes around, I, I want to have two cracks at making the team, but when I go, I want to have two 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 chances to um, to try to, to, to win a medal, basically, right. or three chances if you include the medley relay. So, you know, in the space of four years, I went from not really swimming the event to a, to a Olympic silver medal, which is... Um, credit to, to Vince to kind of putting that program together to help me um, swim that event the way I did. Um, but I but I always found the hundred was my favourite event. But I also found it it's it's a harder event to do perfectly. Like it's mm. such a knife edge of being out fast, but being out you know with that easy speed. If you if you overcook it, that first fifty, the last fifteen of a hundred breasts gets gets very ugly. So. Finding that right balance of, of speed but easy speed is, I think, I think harder in the 100. In the 200, it, you know, it's all about rhythm and length and that type of thing, whereas the 100, you've got you to stay up in the water and nice and fast, but you can't, can't overcook it. Yeah. I want to talk about 100 speed and, and Adam Petey in a second. We'll come back to that. But um, <laughs> um, I missed the team in 96 and had a similar experience to you kind of like in 04 and then, and then came back a much better athlete, you know, much stronger, much wiser, better for the experience. It was certainly heartbreaking, but you knew, and you kind of did the same thing. You obviously have this very consistent career after having this disappointment in 2004. So what would you say to anyone listening to this? You know, what's your, what's your recommendation to maybe not have to go through that heartbreak? What were the changes that you made? What are the things you did in yourself? Yeah, it's 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 a tough question. I mean, I it's it's the one part of my career that you look back and go, man, I wish I, that didn't happen. But at the same time, glad if it didn't happen. I, I I don't think I'd be the, the athlete I, I was. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, for for me, it was probably two things. It, it was it was an element of professionalism. I think up until that point, I was still effectively an age group swimmer. Right. In in my late teens, kind of good when I was good and when I wasn't good I was 
terrible. So yeah. it was it was more it was more about you know every day I'd, I'd bring a level of focus, professionalism, um, consistency to training that right. then meant if I got up on on race day and it was a bad swim, I knew it would still be good. If, if I'm good on my, my bad days, then I can be good on any day. Um, so that was probably one. One of it was a little bit about my um, mentality on race day that I think when I look back to 04, I was thinking ahead. I was thinking, you know, I'm going to I'm going to get to be an Olympian. I'm going to be, you know, Hackers right. this going to be Athens, the home of the games, all this stuff, right. rather than rather than thinking about, well, today I'm at training and what am I going to do today that's going to make me better? Um, right. But also, I guess on race day, don't think about results. You think about your process. So, um, I guess my 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 pre race mantra almost became, you know, as we walked out, I, I just think to myself, I'd consciously say to myself. You know, you're about to hit, you're about to swim fast. That's that's why you do this. That's that's the funnest thing you can do. Yeah. And that just made me stop thinking about winning, losing, time splits, whatever. All right. Um, settled me down and got me ready to race because I I just love I love swimming fast. I love seeing what I could do compared to the guy next to me. Um, and so just reminding myself of that um, was a big big change to I guess where my head was in, in 04, um, and that then helped pretty much every every race day from then to the end of my career. Um, so probably those two changes. Um, but, I mean, yeah, to, to me it's about if, if talking to a young swimmer or whoever, um, it, it's about, you know, using, using your opportunity that day to do what you can. You know, some days you're going to feel great, go kill it. Other days it's, you're going to feel average. But that doesn't mean you just you just find it, and you've still got to find a way to develop something. Whether that's you know your skills, whether that's your underwaters, whether mm. that's your you know not breathing last ten meters or whatever it might be. You, every day is an opportunity to improve, um, and that'll ultimately lead to success. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Good advice, mate. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Um, when did you uh, was was twenty twelve your last meet? No, I, I swam on. So after after 2012, I um denied a bit, um, and and ultimately decided I want to have another crack. And I basically dropped dropped the 200. I was, I guess, 29 by then, right. a bit long in the tooth. The, the body was starting to struggle. So I said, let's just go back, do purely sprint training, and see if I can, you know, um, put together a, a great hundred on its own. Um, and, I don't, and I I don't just, know the result of that, but that's just a bad idea from just straight off the bat. So keep going. <laughs> what happened with that result? Oh, uh, it, it was hard. I, I had the toughest year leading into trials that I'd ever had, like injuries, right. um, you know, inflamed discs in my back, these type of things. And it was just a battle. I actually swam trials with a, a six-centimeter tear in my groin, mm. you know, and, and kind of scraped through the team on, on one leg. Um, and and kind of went all right, and then I had quite a good um, period from trials to to world champs, um, and I kind of went oh you know this this is this has come good. I've I've got the balance right. Um, the body's kind of a- adjusted a bit to to going back to sprint training, and um, I think this might work. And then I just had one of those meets where. The heat swim wasn't terrible, but it wasn't good, and I missed the semi-final by a hundredth of a second. I think, I think between third and 
And I must have been fourth and 17th in the heats was like 60.1 to 60.4. And it was just like this incredibly tight field. And I was just on the outside of that. Um, and so I didn't get a semi uh, swim. And then the same thing happened in the 50. Um, and then and then the relay, they were worried. Um, so they wanted to swim Christian. It was the year Christian Springer won the, won the, won the world title. So they wanted to put him in the, both the heat and the semi. Sure. Um, and so it was like my meet finished on day three, I think, after the 50 heat. Um, and I, I kind of just had a few days thinking about it going, you know, do I want to, I know, I know I could have done better than that. The, the, the time I did and the result I got wasn't nearly what I, I should have got, but it was like, do I want to spend another 12 months risking dealing with those injuries, dealing with all the fatigue I I'd kind of felt having swum for, for as long as I had, yep. um, to do it again. Um, and I just kind of went, no, nah, that, that's it. So, um, while I hadn't gone into the meet thinking it was my last meet, I, I quite wanted to swim the next year's Commonwealth Games um, and, and Pan Packs were here on the Gold Coast and have that as my final meet in 2014. Um, but I just kind of called it on the last night in, in Barcelona in 2013 and said, look, guys, I'm done. So um, I'm glad I did it then and, and, and then the way to do it, to, to, to do it to, with the team there, I think is quite special, um, yeah. as you did. Yeah rather than announcing it two weeks later when you're at home. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it, it was a tough year and I was just like, I don't, I don't necessarily want to try to put myself through that again. Did you have some kind of plan what you were going to go into after that or was it just like, I'm, I'm done and i got to figure out the rest now? Uh, no, I, I was quite lucky. Um, so I'd actually started working part-time for the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games in that year. Oh, okay. So... Um, when I first moved up to the Gold Coast in 2010, they did the bid process and I was an athlete ambassador for the bid. So I got to meet the crew who, you know, the, the chairman and the CEO and all these people and, and what they were trying to do and, and learning about the process, um, I guess, kind of piqued my interest. I, I hadn't, you know, if you'd asked me 2008, do you see yourself working at major sporting events, I would have said, no, it wasn't really my my plan, but um, it kind of fell that way. And so after after the London Olympics, I'd kind of finished all my study, um, and the guys asked me in to kind of brief the the small team that were working at the games at that stage on my my London experience and what the London Games I thought did well and and that type of thing. Um, and while I was there, you know, someone said, "Oh, you know, when you when you hang them up, what do you think you want to do?" And I said, "Actually." Now that I've seen what you guys do, I'd, I'd actually be really interested in working at the games. And they basically said, "You know, do you, do you want to start?" Brilliant. <laughs> you know, we can we can put you on. I think I was only doing, you know, twelve or fifteen hours a week or something pretty small while I was yeah. swimming. But it kind of um, piqued my interest enough that then when I I kind of retired, I kind of had a few months to decompress after Worlds and then started full time by the end of that year and then worked whatever it was, the four and a half years to games time. Nice. Very nice. Uh, I just want to jump back real quick because I've never had a chance to really ask a competitor of, of Cameron's this, but 2012, Cameron came out, won the Olympics in the 100 breast, I believe, and, and there was a little bit of controversy where he kind of openly admitted to taking some dolphin kicks. What did, what did you think about that as one of the competitors? Um, look, the, the dolphin kick is 
just one of those things that it's been an issue my whole career. You know, like if, if you think back to Athens and there was a storm around it there and the rule basically got changed to allow one dolphin kick. Right. And then once there was one dolphin kick, a few people started taking a liberty and doing doing a second one. Um, to me, I'm, I'm not going to point the finger at people and say, you know, you shouldn't have done this or you should have done this. For the record, he broke my world record by 0.12 of a second in that race and people oh, questioned nice. about, you know, oh, how much, you know, a tenth of a second is an extra. So, um, and as I said, it, it, it to me, I don't worry m- myself with what other people do. I-, I would never do it. It's it's not within the spirit of the sport, I don't think. And it, more so, it's one of those things when I when I get up in the blocks, I want to test myself against what the world's got to offer. And so I'm going to do what I do in the way I think it should be done. And if other people want to try to bend the rules or whatever, um, so be it. You know. Were you in that race? Yeah. Yeah, I think I was fifth or sixth in the end. I, my, my semi-swim was quite good, but my final swim was a little bit slow and kind of dropped me down from kind of fighting for a, a, a bronze medal and down to, I think, fifth or sixth. So, um, so but, I mean, you know, he, he made the point that, you know, a year before at World Champs he gets beaten by someone that, that does it to him. So, um yeah, each to their own. If that if that's the way you want to try to win, go be it. I mean, he was, I think he was half a second up on on the silver medalist. So why why you would risk a disqualification for a tenth of a second when you're the the best person in the race? I, I don't know. Right, like it was all, it was almost like he was going to win the race anyway. He didn't really need to add a second yeah. off because like you, you're the best guy there anyway. So I yeah. guess that helps you kind of live with the result anyway, knowing that look. He was pretty yeah. much the best guy on the day anyway, but yeah. it wasn't really necessary. Uh, if if he beat me by a hundredth of a second, right. you, you might you might you might feel a little bit differently, but right. ultimately he, he was the best swimmer in that race. But, yeah. Yeah, and leave it at that. Okay. Uh well, breaststroke these days, mate. Does it blow your mind? I mean, you you're swimming really fast, breaking world records. I think your world record was what, fifty eight five fifty eight fifty eight. Yeah. Uh, there's some balance there too, mate. Uh, 58. <laughs> um, but these days, I mean, that that doesn't even get on the podium. I mean, it's just crazy. And, and just talk to me about Adam Peaty, first of all. <laughs> uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes after I retired, you kind of go, oh, geez, I wish I'd, you know, should I get back in there? I'm still um, Oh, yeah. And and then uh, and then you watch Adam race and you know, yeah yeah I, I retired at the right time so <laughs> yeah um, yeah I, I think it's a bit of a change in philosophy more than anything you know when when I swam um, and, and you watch guys like Kitajima it was very much about you know distance per stroke stroke length and efficiency um, trying to have good speed like that whereas. I think people realised, you know, you lose so much energy speeding up, slowing down. You're better off rating up, maintaining speed right. um, for as long as you can. And I mean, he's he's a he's a special athlete. Like, there's yep. no way, no way around that. Um, you know, he's. I, I don't think there's been periods of domination in too many events like he's had, probably from 2014 to to today, and and whether that continues on. Um, but I, I think 
that change in mindset then then allows you to train and prepare a different way to then to then do that. I mean, if I got up and tried to swim like Adam Peaty, even when I was at my best, yeah, it, it would probably get ugly. But I think if you you train that way, knowing that was how you were going to swim it, um, you, you could probably find um, find a way of making it work. Um, but yeah, I mean, but it's it's not just that he's so good as that now guys like Kaminga, uh, you know, they're they're finding a way to to get down to that not quite his speed, but closer and closer to that kind yeah. of territory. That what about um, the the breaststroke kick itself? The evolution of that. I mean, there are guys that are barely kind of separating their legs anymore yeah. and just shooting straight back and doing all sorts of strange stuff with it. And, and Petey's got that very short piston type. You know, leverage just bang, bang, bang. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's really mind blowing to see where it's gone. You know, from from kind of 08 to to now, it's just a almost like it's a different sport. Yeah, I, I think I think people realize, you know, in in our time, it was so much about getting that power. Right. Whereas now, there's almost an emphasis on the the recovery that you you actually what you're trying to do is do that as shortly as possible. Because that's the the resistance that's slowing you down. So you're trying to almost keep that short and just, like you say, just bang them out like mm -hmm. short little pistons, just turning your ankles out, and that's about it. Yeah. Um, which I mean, I think I think we always talked about you know keeping kicks narrow and really trying to drive to the back wall. But these guys have once again um, taking it to another level and and doing it much more um, tempo based. Like I, I don't know too much about how they train but I, I doubt they'd be doing too much slow long efficient breaststroke kick it'd be more no, about i wouldn't think so yeah short short and sharp Matt, i know very little about breaststroke and it just seems like just when i get a grasp of maybe figuring it out it changes again and it becomes something different i'm like all right yeah. well, I, don't, I don't know what's going on anymore <laughs> it's hard to explain it but i i think that's part of what makes breaststroke special if, if you ask me like you look at the 100 free and seven of the eight guys look identical, I would, mm. I would argue. Like everyone swims it very similarly. Yeah. Um, whereas you look at breaststroke and it's much more about, well, as a, as a human, what are my physical attributes and how do I, right. how do I make the most of that? Um, you know, I, I had the pleasure of going up um, probably, what was that, eight, 2018, 2019, um, and spending some time with Vince working with Zach Stubbley Cook. Right. Um, and and seeing what he can do versus what I can do, and and speaking to Vince about you know the difference in training him versus training me, um, we did the same stroke, we did the same event. You know, he's now Olympic champion. I was an Olympic silver medalist in the same event, but we're just such different um, physical creatures that you can't yeah. train us the, the same way at all. Yeah. Like we might do some sets that are similar, but you, you're going about it completely differently. Give us that. Uh, you know, Zach's obviously being coached by your former coach. Uh, so is he doing any Brent and Rickard sets that have helped him become Olympic champion? He, he does. He does. He does a fair bit um, of of sets I used to do. But Talk yeah, to me about one. Give me one. But um, speaking speaking to him, like you know, I'd do that as like the only breaststroke I would do in the session. And he'll do that, and then he'll go swim another two k of breaststroke afterwards and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, nah, my my body could not not handle that. Like he can just swim breaststroke all day, and you right. and you see it the way the way he swims. 
Um, and he's almost, yeah, like a metronome. He just he can sit there and bang out, you know, that type of, you know, I think all these 50s in the 200 from from 50s two to four were all 32 lows. Like just being able to maintain that even under fatigue is is just special. Is there a, is there a set that you can share with us, like something that you you know that's similar to what you used to do, but he he does that now? Um, I, we did a fair bit of um for me, especially taking on the, the two hundred was a lot about for me for about rating um and and rhythm. Right. Um, so I do a lot of like two hundred meter pace work at you know thirty five to thirty seven stroke rate, sixteen strokes of fifty. You know, if they were fifties, I'd be doing you know thirty two flats. Or, or trying to go, you know, 105s or 106s for, for 100. So you might do something where you go um, dive 100 at that type of rate, 200 easy, push 100, 200 easy, and you do that, you do four times. So it's almost like four broken twos. Right. Um, and, and the 200 easy was on like three minutes. It's not easy, easy. It's okay. like an aerobic yeah, semi, semi-short rest type swim. Um and, and he obviously swims at a, as a, at a higher rate, but, like, yeah, he's doing 104s, 103s, just back to back to back. And I'd kind of first two, three would be good, and then I'd kind of hit my mm. limit of that's about as much breaststroke at that speed and as efficiency as I could do, whereas he, yeah, he does four, and then he's like, what's next? So yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just a machine. Wow, that's awesome. Well, Awesome stuff, mate. Well, listen, I, I got to tell you, the first thirty minutes is far far more interest to me than the the next part of this talk's going to be. Um, you do retire and you do uh, kind of leave the sport for a while in terms of you know you've been gone from the swimming pool for seven eight years, I think something like that. Um, you're still involved in the sport, um, but it was around last year I was I was actually coaching one of your former teammates, Matt Target, and uh, Matt comes to practice and says, uh, we've got a problem. I'm like, well, what's wrong? He's like, uh, Brent and Rickard just uh, uh, failed a, a drug test. I was like, Brent and Rickard retired seven years ago. What are you, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, they've, they've gone back and tested something from uh, from London. So that was how I found out about it from, from Matt Target. How did you find out about it, mate? Mate, I, I got it. It was a... It was a- Monday morning in January 2020, and I got an email from, it was actually from the Australian Olympic Committee as a um, Olympic test. Uh, it goes through the AOC and they, they passed it on to me. Um, and, I, like, when, when you, you see it and the subject heading's a bit weird, like you just don't even think, you don't realise what you're about to open. And sure enough, it's an email explaining that, a retest of a, of a 2012 sample has, has come back positive um, for furosemide, a banned diuretic. Um, and You've probably never you know, heard of before. I, I'd heard of it only, only because of other cases that um, I don't know, know whether you remember Kylie Palmer's case. Okay. Um, kind of came around 2015, I think that was. Okay. Um and, and even then, I didn't didn't initially trigger. It was only after the fact when I actually got on the Google machine that I kind of saw that and kind of went, "Oh, okay, um, same thing." Um, so yeah, and, and then it's just disbelief. You you think they've 
you, you know, you're double checking the, the sample numbers if they've got some something wrong, has something gone mixed up in the lab. You know, you just don't believe it's it's real. Um, and then you kind of spend probably two days scrambling, speaking to whoever you've got in your network that knows a little bit about this doping system to know what the hell's going to, what's going on, what's going to happen, um, where do we go from here. Um, and, yeah, it's it's just a tough, it's a tough, tough situation to be in. Um, you know, I, I tell the story pretty early on. There was a, a professional in the anti-doping realm here, a specialist um, that I kind of spoke to, and they said, mate, you, you, you're not going to be able to prove the source of the contamination eight years after the fact. Plead no contest, you know, buy each of the boys a Rolex for their, their medals and just move on, like, the, the cost to you financially and emotionally, however long this case takes, is going to be much more than 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 anything you can imagine and you're still going to struggle to actually prove your innocence through it all just because, yeah, there, there, there is no physical evidence. You've got nothing to show um, to say this is this is how it happened. So... Um, when you kind of when you kind of get told that you, your heart sinks, yeah. you, you get yeah, it shakes you to your core a bit about well, what what can I do? Um, and that was part of the deal, right? Is it wasn't just affecting you? Is it is the test was part of the medley relay, and you had swum in the morning, and then the medley relay had gone on and won a bronze medal. So they were talking about actually taking the medals away from from all the boys who had won. Yeah. So so the. The, the test itself was after the 200 breast final. So I got seventh, I think, or something. Okay. Not great. It wasn't a great swim. Um, but because two days later I swam the heats of, of the medley relay, gotcha. the, the, the position is that you, you disqualify all, all results at the event, not just right. the event that, mm. that the test happened. So, yeah, you disqualify my swim in the, the medley relay heats and then by FINA rules, if one one swimmer is disqualified, the whole the whole team's disqualified. So, yeah, you kind of sit there and go, you found an absolutely tiny trace of a non-performance enhancing diuretic with no evidence of any wrongdoing, yet you're going to take an Olympic medal off six people. Like in terms of how how harsh a punishment can you possibly hand down? That's yeah. kind of at the, the top of the list. So, um, yeah, you, you kind of spend months. Well, the, the other thing that's probably worth noticing is that my, my B sample didn't get tested for four and a half months, I think, in the end. So I didn't even know whether I legitimately had a case to answer um, because the lab got shut down in Lausanne because of COVID. So mm. I kind of said, well, can you test my B sample? Is this just a contamination that's happened in my A sample bottle or, or something like that? Um, and you, you just have to sit with it you know this wow. this weight hanging around your your neck for months at a time waiting to hear yeah what's 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 going to be what's going to happen is this real you know do i have to take this to to kaz um and and how am i possibly gonna prove my innocence is there any form of support during that time or do you feel completely isolated other than family obviously it, but i mean professionally is there a sense of isolation? Do people pull away from you and be like, okay, he's going to have to prove that on his own? Or is there a group of people that come around you and say, 
Hey, man, we'll get you back on this. I think friends and family do have your back. Cool. But outside cool. of that, there's there's very little um, people can do to support you. I mean, the rules here in Australia are so anti-doping that if any time you're, I guess, accused of a violation, it's basically a hands-off policy. They'll, they'll mm. point you to a psychologist and say, speak to them for, for help. Um, and, and that's about it. Um, and, and it's, it's somewhat of a problem with the system globally that you're right. guilty until you can prove your, your innocence. And therefore everyone just has to keep you at arm's length. And so, um, professionally, like post, post Gold Coast games, I started consulting and contracting. So I was working, um, for the Swimmers Association, the Australian Swimmers Association at the time doing some work for them. Um, and so the day that I kind of find out, I, I kind of had to call them and say, look, I, I don't think I can, I can't do my job wow. un, un, under this under this regime, under this system. So basically there and then, I think initially I asked for a, a leave of absence to see whether I could sort it out, but it was pretty obvious quickly that it was going to take a while. So you, you just basically have to resign there and then. And so... Um, for for me, yes, there's the I guess the the damage to my my reputation as an athlete, but as a professional now in the sporting industry, it's it's a it's been a, a, a bigger challenge than that. Right. Yeah. I mean I I can't even imagine, you know, the decisions you have to make in a situation like that. Did did they come to you did anyone come to you kind of at, at a point? I know you I know you gave an example a minute ago, but was there a point where it's like, look, man, this is gonna cost you x amount of dollars it's it's just not something that you're going to win here i mean did they give you any of that advice or did they did they give you a ballpark of how much it was going to cost yeah yeah and and, and to be fair we we kind of knew that in the grand scheme of things my legal fees weren't going to be as extreme as others because you know i you know you look at a, a Shana or a Roland Schumann or one of these guys that spend a whole lot of money testing trying to find the contamination. I, I couldn't I couldn't do that. Like so so in terms of costs, right. um, mine was probably at the lower end of it. Um, but yeah, you, you get a ballpark figure. I, I think what we didn't understand was how long this process would take. You know, it, it's been nineteen months since I was first notified that between the the B sample delay. Um, and everything else that's gone on, that's probably been the, the price that I've paid that, that I felt the most. The money is certainly something. It certainly um, left the bank balance worse for wares. But um, to have to, to carry this burden for 19 months has been a, has been a bigger cost. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, pretty early on we knew it would be incredibly hard to prove my innocence. We did feel there was, you know, speaking to the legal team, there was an argument to be made that could at least protect the relay boys. Um, okay. And, and so that that was the main reason we fought it. And, you know, I think either way I, I felt I owed it to myself and to them and, and to the sport as a whole that I had to fight it. I don't, I don't want to be sitting here in five years' time going, yeah, look, the, it did cost me some money, but... You know, I saved myself some money by not contesting, but I'm living with accepting a, 
a, a bum steer for the rest of my life. So I always felt like I had to do it purely out of the desire of the peace of mind that knowing I, I did everything I could to, to clear my name. Yeah. I, I did read somewhere it said trace amounts of uh, oral pharmaceutical products, uh, over-the-counter pharmaceutical products can, can be a reason why, you know, they have this drug in them. Did you guys come to any conclusions on that throughout this time? Like, what was your argument? Yeah, it, it was basically that there were numerous cases coming up around the world that now with this new testing regime of, of how low of a concentration they can go to, right. that diuretics were popping up in samples as contaminants for legitimate medications. So over-the-counter medications, paracetamol, ibuprofen, those type really? of oh. things. Yeah. Oh, wow. That their their quality control measure is, you know, good manufacturing practice as defined by the pharmaceutical bodies is 10 parts per million and they're pinging us for parts per billion in our urine. So wow. you, you can have something that's produced legally and safely and, and you know, meets all regulation is a legitimate um, pharmaceutical product, medication, and if you just take it and you're, un, you know, statistically one of those unfortunate ones that is slightly contaminated and you have it at the wrong time close to one of these tests, right. yeah, you, you end up pinging positive. So um, that's what kind of ultimately led to the rule change. Um, to avoid this happening to, to future athletes. Um, what did they do with the rule change? So from, from you, they then decided to change the rules? Yeah, so so my case and other similar cases basically put forward enough evidence of these things happening enough right. that <coughs> they needed to investigate it and in their investigation they found, yep, these small, small low-level contaminations that are, legal in a pharmaceutical sense lead to um, low-level concentrations in urine samples. So they've now put a minimum reporting level of 20 nanograms per mil. So mine was six, um, which is still it's still a very small amount, to be fair, but they're kind of saying, look, that should hopefully um, avoid situations of contaminations flagging with these diuretics, um, that if you, you have a concentration above that, it's probably from taking it purposefully rather than it just being an illegitimate medication. So how did you ultimately get off this in, in terms, was that just it? It was basically like, look, there's multiple cases here. Here's all the evidence. Is that how it ended up you finally getting, you know, coming off this? It, it was it was ultimately that WADA, WADA reviewed all this stuff and changed the rule. And therefore the, I, the IOC then comes back to CAS and say, the rule now states that it needs to be 20 nanograms per mil or, or greater to be a doping violation. Brenton is no longer, Brenton's test is no longer considered an adverse analytical finding. We dropped the case against him. And so we, we <coughs> that rule was published late May to come into effect June 1. Um, so I've, I've known for a little while that this would be the outcome, um, but it was just then the legal process going through for CAS to review the withdrawal, finalise finalise it for their processes that has taken 
you know, another three months effectively of, of once again of having to carry the burden even though the result is ultimately going to go your way. So so you weren't um, even allowed to tell the relay boys that they, they get to keep their medals? I, I, I think they were notified because they um, – were, were parties that joined the case as as impacted parties. So they actually came in, okay. um, had, had a lawyer and, and a few of the boys attended the hearing or, the, or part of the hearing as an impacted party. Okay. They were then privy to um, the, the conversations going on with CAS through their lawyer. So I think I'm pretty sure they knew whenever that was end of May. But same as me, that they're, they're bound by the, the confidentiality of the um, arbitration agreement until it's finalised, which has been three more months. Wow! So you had a you had a party back in May, and then you've had a couple of parties <laughs> in the last few days. It's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, like my my experience with the system is certainly you don't you don't believe it until it's real. So right. as excited though as I was back in May until until this notification came through, whenever that was Tuesday Monday night, you. You don't you don't let yourself hope too much. You, you kind of got to wait till you've got the the official documentation in your hot hands. Yeah, yeah. God, mate, what an ordeal. I mean, there must have been periods of time where it did feel helpless for you, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that was yeah that it became evident early on that you're fighting a losing battle, or you, you certainly feel that way. Um, and and the the isolation of it. I mean, right. You kind of it's it's a bit of a tough situation that you know you're you're afforded confidentiality, but you also know well we've had cases here in Australia where confidentiality of the the athletes being broken and the stories got out. Shana Jack, right. um, and, and so you're you deliberately want to tell as few people as possible to avoid a situation like that happening. Right. Um, but then also you're in the the situation where you feel like you're being dishonest to people is, is the easiest way to put it that, right. um, you know, what's a good example, you know, swim, swimming Australia, uh, launching a new um, junior excellence program here on the Gold Coast. Brenton, can you come down and do stuff for the kids? And you're like, I can't tell you why, but no. So oh, you right. end up, you end up not being able to be truthful with people because right. you're, you're protecting yourself. So, um, that that isolation is along with, you know, I know I didn't do this. I know, I know the truth of the yeah. matter. But how, yeah. how do you prove it? Um, and and how do you stop it from in, of in, impacting other people? The relay boys, even just things like, you know, my coaches, you know, Vincent and Glenn. You'd hate for this case to reflect badly on them sure. or or any of the, any of those things. So. Um, you kind of just do what you can. Um, you know, I, in some ways, being an athlete sometimes doesn't prepare you overly well for life after sport, and then sometimes it does. And so being able to, I guess, put that that athlete mindset back on and go, okay, what can I do today to help yeah. deal with this pro- problem um, was was one of the things that, that did help me get through. Right. Well, mate, you got your... Um clean record you've been vindicated uh the your your home state has just been awarded the olympics uh in in 32 in brisbane uh, so is this something where you could maybe attach to uh something like that and get back to work and start to 
start to do something like that again? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd, I'd like to think that my, my experience with the, the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games puts me in, in good stead to, to hopefully pay a, play a part in, in, in hosting a great Olympic Games in, in 2032. Um, the hard thing is it's, it's 11 years away and so I've got to kind of get back to work and, and doing some other things um, in, in the meantime. But um, that's, that's obviously on the horizon and it's something um, we're all very excited about, obviously, you got to experience a, a home games in, in Sydney, and I got to. I actually attended a little bit as a as a spectator, as a teenager, um, and and we'd love to see something as as special as that happen again here in Brisbane in thirty two. For sure, mate. For sure. Well, um, I'm glad uh, we could do this today, mate. Glad we could catch up. Glad we could share your your both your stories, the the good and the bad, and and then the way it's ended is is um, a good thing for you and for for your family and for for Australia. Um, uh, the swimming community for sure, because I know that they're, you know, they they pride themselves in doing things the right way, and you're part of that for sure. You you had so much consistency over so many years, and you're such a role model. So I'm glad you're able to clear your name now, mate. So it's good stuff. Yeah, appreciate it, Hawkey. Yep. Um, all right, mate. Well, listen. Uh, let's not wait another ten years to catch up. You know, you got my number now. So let's. Uh, hopefully, I'll come down and visit soon. I'd, I'd love to get down there as long as you take that quarantine away. I'll, I'll be down there. <laughs> I think I think we're working on that. We get ourselves vaccinated here because that, that rollout's been a bit slow. But hopefully, once that happens, we'll uh, open things up a little more. All right, Brenton. Thanks, mate. Appreciate your time today. Cheers, Hawkey. See you, mate. So the Magic Five custom swim goggles. Now I got to tell you, I really love these things. I did the scan. I got the Magic Five app, and I held up my phone to my face it took a scan of my face within 10 seconds it shoots it off gets processed and within a couple of weeks i get these brand new goggles that are custom fit to my face no leaks the gasket fits perfectly around my eyes i gotta tell you these things look beautiful they're they're good looking goggles they're super clear i can see out of the peripheral everything is as I would want it. Custom fit. Use code BRETTHAWK20 to get 20% off your own pair of custom fit Magic 5 goggles. These things are incredible. I highly recommend them. All strokes, breaststroke, backstroke, butterfly, freestyle. Perfect fit to your face. Get yourself a pair today.